welcome to version 2.0 of OSAA Today, the podcast. This is Bob Akamian. Welcome into championship season, the most wonderful time of the year. And of course, we get it three times during the year, fall championships beginning this week and a whole lot to lay on you over the next several weeks. We also want to bid farewell to Billy Gates, who got this thing started this fall, did a great job with it, with his great enthusiasm for high school sports in Oregon. And he is taking that to Texas, starting a new adventure in Austin. And we thank him for his role in OSA today. So no replacement. Billy's going on to bigger and better things. And I'll be dropping in now to work with Jerry Olmer and John Tawa, Doug Winder, our great staff who uh, writes for OSA Today. Lots of content on the site, and we always invite you to uh, jump on and take a look at what everyone's writing. We have all the coaches' polls updated for football as we begin the first week of uh, football. We have soccer recaps, all the girls' uh, first round is now complete. We had games all around the state yesterday in the girls' soccer playoffs, so they'll move on to the quarterfinals on Saturday. And then as we speak today, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 6th of November, all the uh, boys' first round action will be complete, in some cases second round in 6A. That's all coming up today, and of course you can look for all those results and recaps tomorrow on OSA Today. On the pod, we will uh, have an in-depth preview of the volleyball championships because nobody digs deeper in volleyball nationwide or in Oregon than John Tawa. We'll hear from him in just a moment. The three championship sites, Friday and Saturday, Liberty High School, Forest Grove High School, and Ridgeview High School. And Doug Bender will be along in a bit to preview the cross-country championships on the slightly adjusted course at Lane Community College. And, of course, that begins Saturday morning and some great weather forecast for Eugene on Saturday. So that should be an absolutely delightful day as we crown some new and perhaps continue some traditions in cross country. Finally, football gets going, and we have so many games. If we dug deep on football, this would be a two-hour podcast, and especially when Jordan Johnson and I get talking about football. So I'm going to take you through some of the uh, first-round matchups on Friday and Saturday, and then next week Jordan will be with us, and we'll do a a serious deep dive into the next round of football. And, of course, we invite you to uh, listen to this podcast, all the past editions, at iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, our great hosts, and also on RipCityRadio.com slash OSAA Today. Volleyball will lead off coming up. Championship Volleyball takes center stage this weekend as the OSAA On Point Community Credit Union Volleyball Tournaments all play out at the three locations around the state. And, of course, Friday will be the uh, semifinal play. Saturday will be the finals. And uh, one of our favorite volleyball fans and experts, John Tawa, joins us right now to uh, preview the final part of the volleyball season. And we have a lot of familiar names. Had a couple of surprises through the uh, advancement of this tournament. What, Just in general, though, for this season, what's been maybe the most compelling or interesting thing you've come across in Oregon high school volleyball? I think it's that in the past when when you said that you were playing at the 6A level, people just assumed that 6A was so much stronger than all the other classifications. And what we've seen this year is that the top teams in some of the lower classifications, 3A for sure, 4A for sure, you know, Sandium, Christian, and Valley Catholic for sure, and then a whole slew of 5A teams 
are at least as competitive as the top of 6A, and that's that's unusual. And in fact, I think he can go as far as Kennedy in 2A to think that even that Kennedy could compete with some of the top 4A and 5A schools. And it's interesting to take that thought because sports like football, well, there's always going to be a depth issue. You might have a great running back, maybe really good three, four guys on the line, but the numbers will play out. But volleyball is a sport where you, you only have so many people in your rotation. You've got an iron woman setter. I mean, pound for pound, could a Valley Catholic, what would they do in the 6A tournament? Uh, I think that they would they would be competitive, but I think they would end up falling a player too short. They've got a terrific setter in Allie Murs, and, and she's the reason that, that Valley will be the favorite to win 4A. But um, they may have, you know, they only have probably one really strong Terminator, and she happens to be a freshman. You know, in, in 6A, most of the time you have two, three offensive options, and that tends to be a little bit better. Also, I mean, Valley Catholic is to be distinguished a little bit because it's a private school in the Portland metro area. You know, when, when you get to these volleyball powers, and the, the teams that do well are the teams that tend to be in the metro area because of the proliferation of club opportunities. I mean, out in the countryside, it's much harder for kids who are often playing multiple sports to be traveling to, to be on a volleyball club, and so they don't get as many touches and as many reps over the course of the season. Therefore, their improvement arc isn't as steep. And uh, that brings me to the inevitable question about how the seeding worked out. The top four C's advanced in all but one case, uh, making it through to the finals. So clearly the rankings played out. But in the world of volleyball where you have the early season tournaments and we saw the top uh, 2A and 1A teams play up in tournament play, um, how, how, how easy or hard is it to, uh, to really get to the brackets? Is there enough balance around the state that everybody gets a fair shot within their own division? Well, let me, let me just say this. I went back and I looked uh, in preparation for this podcast at the preseason coaches' rankings to see how the preseason coaches' rankings stack up with you know, the top eight teams now playing for the state tournament. And so in 6A, seven of the top eight teams are in the finals. The only team that missed was Sprague. Sprague was upset by Canby um, on Tuesday. Tuesday, right? No, on Saturday. Um, then in, in 5A, seven of the top nine. In 4A, five of the top eight. In 3A, 6 of the top 10. In 2A, all, all the top six teams and, uh, and Union as well, which was a top 10 team, made it into the, the top eight. And in 1A, five of the top seven. So I mean, the coaches were fairly astute about how they figured that the, the action would, would go in the beginning of the season, and it seems to have played out that way. Now, there are some surprise teams. Canby is a surprise in 6A, Thurston in 5A. Um, there are a few surprise teams. Vail was a shocking. Um, team in 3A to, to beat Catlin Gable, a team, put another private school team from Portland with club players, and for Vail to, to come in and take out Catlin Gable was really a surprise. And of course, that gets us to the tournament, so let's take a little spin through the brackets and each classification. 6A, of course, will be back at Liberty High School with their final being on Saturday night. That will be the second match at 8.30. And uh, as always, we are talking about Jesuit. Central Catholic. It's been 12 years that at least one of those teams has advanced to the final. Jesuit has the uh, top seed. Central Catholic, of course, a lot of sentiment with Rick Lorenz uh, ending his uh, legendary career. And it always seems inevitable that those two teams are destined for the final, but it's a deep field and the quality in 6A is there. So nothing is automatic really for either one of those two. No, uh, I mean, last week I was at the OSA office and they asked me who I thought would win the state tournament, and this was before the first playoff match, and I said I thought Canby would win. 
and they gave me that look. And, <laughs> and then they looked up the rankings, and they saw that Canby was seated 11th. And like, how is it that you think Canby's going to win? And and the reason is I, I was at the Westland tournament um, a couple weeks back, and Canby did not win the Westland tournament. But I saw how hard they played, how much passion they played with, what Coach Slaughter was doing with that team. Um, Canby has probably the most dynamic hitter in the state in junior Daly McClellan. I really just liked the way they played. Um, that being said, I, I've, I changed my mind now. I have the right to change my mind. So I've of changed course. my mind a little bit about <laughs> who I think is going to win. And the reason is that, that Daly McClellan took 110 swings on Saturday in the win over Sprague. She had 50 kills, 50 kills. Um, and that's wonderful. But, but really, in order to to run the gauntlet three matches over two days, her arm's going to fall off. It's, it's just I just don't think that Canby's going to have enough. There need to be more diverse offensive options. And so that brings us back to Central Catholic and Jesuit. We'll talk about those teams. Uh, Central Catholic's got to be the sentimental favorite in, in that it is Rick's last go-around, Rick Lorenz. Um, he has... A very well-rounded team. He's got a terrific libero. I like Ava Bruins quite a lot. Two really good, spunky, dynamic setters. Um, a hitter, Mia Jordan, who probably hits the ball harder than anybody in the state. Two long um, middle blockers who get their hands on a lot of the balls. And, and a left-side hitter who's a libero in club, um, but who really knows how to place the ball, does a really good job. So central is certainly going to be there, and they have every incentive to want to play for Rick to give him a championship in his final year. And then the other school you have to think about is Mountainside, which is only two years in to varsity sports, but they draw from the great Murray Hill Youth Sports Zone, and they got Coach Brooke Mayo, who was with Southridge, helped build that program. They've beaten Jesuit twice this year. they got to be a player in this. Well, yes, they have to be. Now, and, and Izzy, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I'm not even going to try. Um, Izzy's a terrific player. She sets and hits for that team. Um, really a strong, strong, strong setter. Probably the best setter we'll see in the 6A tournament. And, and, and because of her alone, that team's always a threat. But I really like Jesuit. Um, I really like Jesuit. When Jesuit lost to Mountainside the second time, their 6'3-inch sophomore middle, Massengale, was not playing. She um, was injured, but she's back, and she's fine. That team is underclass dominated, but they're really good. Maddy Dowdell on the left side is terrific. Um, they have two really good setters, sound defensive players, and with Massengale in the middle, yeah, Jesuit's going to be awfully tough to beat, I think. And you always have to be careful with Teresa's teams because they'll have a bad set, and you'll think they're mortal. They won't play well in the very first match of the tournament, they find ways and they rally, and uh, that's part of that tradition of success. Well, that is the 6A tournament, the 5-8. Oh, wait, you have more? No. You have more? Oh, yeah, of course I have more. We're not oh, my goodness, this is just the first of six. Right, well, <laughs> we're going to spend a little bit more time with 6A because it, okay. it truly is anybody's ballgame. That's one of the fascinating things about 6A this year. I mean, it, it is hard not to talk about West Lynn. Um, in Audra Wilms, they have probably the, the player going. She's going to Washington. She's a junior. She's, gonna, she's committed to the Washington Huskies. So she's the highest-rated player in the state. Um, and 
you know, she's got a lot of range as an attacker. They have another attacker, um, Emily Warmanhoven, who's a sophomore, but she's long and she hits the ball hard. So they have really good pin hitters. And if you have a good pin hitting team, it can save a lot of clumsy ball handling. And you know, Westland sort of struggles in that area sometimes, but Westland's going to be could potentially be a threat to to do some damage. Um, Summit, uh, Summit's a little bit of a surprise to get there, but Jill Wascom is back. She's a longtime coach with a lot of success, so I never, ever put any Jill Wascom coach team um, on the side. I always give them a chance, and then Sunset's there too. And Sunset's a senior-dominated team. It's Sunset's a team that's been knocking on the door for a lot of years. Now, their big star's gone, but I still think Sunset is a, is a, a threat. Everybody who's there in 6A has a chance to win. And of course, thing about Sunset, they're they're in the Metro League. They see Jesuit. They see Mountainside. They're getting great competition throughout the year. Okay, now can we go to 5A? Let's go. We'll go to 5A now. Also at Liberty High School, that'll be the 6 p.m. final on Saturday. And the top seed is Ridgeview from over in Redmond. They were second a year ago. The defending champs are back. Corvallis, they're the fourth seed this year. And one of the more intriguing possibilities would be a Corvallis-West Albany final because they competed head-to-head. They split their two regular season matches, and they swept each other in three sets in both of their meetings. But uh, Corvallis-West Albany, 3-4, so they're on the opposite sides of the bracket. All right, well, I, I'm going to tell you that I think the best team in 5A is Wilsonville. Now, we You didn't talk about them, but I'm going to talk about them. That team's a team I actually saw them play in the Westland tournament. I know quite a bit about their players from club, and that's a team that has very few weaknesses. If they believe in themselves, athletically they're as good as anybody. And this is a team where you know you have Corvallis has you know Riley Gregg is there, or Ryan Gregg rather. You have Riley Troutman at Ridgeview, um, you know two supreme hitters that that carry a heavy load for their teams. But Wilsonville has four or five different threats left, right, and middle with a terrific setter, a good enough back row. Wilsonville, if they believe in themselves, Wilsonville should be the favorite and is the team that I expect to come through. Corvallis, the champions last year, took a little while to, to get their their footing with some graduation losses, but they've been strong lately, and, and I think that they're peaking at the right time. Um, Ridgeview also has done very well of late, so I expect them to be there, and also West Albany, um, with the, the coach's daughter, the best back row player in the state, I think that that team will be there as well. I expect one of those four teams will prevail in 5A. And Corvallis would face Ridgeview, presumably in the semifinal, if the brackets hold up. John Tawa talking volleyball with us. OSA championships this weekend, Friday and Saturday. The 4A tournament will be played out at Forest Grove High School. Their final is the 8:30 match on Saturday night. And the top seeds all made it through. Valley Catholic, who we've already discussed, uh, is the number one seed. Sisters is number two. And they have an Oregon West rival who they could end up meeting in the uh, semifinal Sweet Home. They split their two regular season matches as well. Can anyone touch Valley Catholic in uh, 4A? Yeah, I think think that you'll find that both Sweet Home and Sisters can be competitive in this. Uh, I... I kind of have a feeling that the Outlaws, that Sisters, are the ones to, to beat. Um, even though I, I tend to, to favor you know, strong senior setters, and, and, and MERS is that at Valley Catholic. Um, the Silva Sisters at Sisters really excite me. They're very athletic players, and, and I really think that 
what Sisters is doing at the end of the season is going to carry over in the state tournament. If I had to to pick a team to win, I'd pick Sisters. But Sweet Homes, very seasoned. They had a lot of players back from a successful team last year. I expect them to be there as well. The uh, 3A tournament will also play out at Forest Grove High School. They will have the first final appearance on Saturday. That will be the 6 o'clock match. And the top seed is a team that you would expect undefeated this year. Sandy M. Christian comes in 23-0, and and their league mates, Cresswell, are also in the top four seeds. But they swept Cresswell through the regular season. And, of course, Sandy M. Christian, uh, a lot of tradition. They've been in the tournament every year since, what, 2003 now. Right. In the beginning, when I wrote a preview article back in – at September, I believe, it might have been August even, I said that Santiam Christian was the heaviest favorite uh, going into the season of all in all the classifications, and I still believe that. And they've proven it, obviously, by being undefeated. I was at the state championships last year at Forest Grove, got to see Santiam Christian up close last year as well. Very impressed. Did not believe that they were a 3A school. They have that much talent, and uh, I think it's going to be very difficult. South Umqua is the dark horse for me. Um, those two teams, uh, I think, you know, if anybody's going to going to challenge Santiam Christian, it's going to be South Umqua. But I really think that Santiam Christian, uh, with those two left side hitters, both being very powerful and very prolific, I think that Santiam Christian is going to take that. And of course, this is the classification where we did have the break in form of the top four. Catlin Gable, which was the fourth seed, was knocked off in four sets by Vale to get this far. Number two seed, Salem Academy, and the number three seed, as we mentioned, Cresswell, uh, out of the same league as Sandy M. Christian. Well, that brings us to the 2A and the 1A competition, and the small schools have a couple of dominance teams as well. They're going to be meeting at Ridgeview High School in Redmond. The final for the 2As is 8.30 on Saturday night. And uh, the number one seed is Kennedy, 30-1 and one this year. We talked about playing up. Their only uh, match they've lost this year was to a 4A team, Sweet Home, which is also a contender in the uh, state tournament. And Kennedy's had a pretty, uh, I don't want to say an easy walk, but they've certainly had some convincing results here, making it to the final eight. Central Inn is the second seed. Yeah, if, if you all have been following Kennedy High School sports over the last couple of years you know that that this is a team that has been right there in all major sports for the last several years have won state championships in basketball won state championships in softball i also i believe um so and and the same core group that have has been winning all of these state championships over the years are right there in volleyball as well and as far as i know they, they haven't won one in volleyball so it's it may be time for them very seasoned roster team that knows how to win uh, you know, Portland Christian won last year, and you know they, they're a fairly high seed as well. But if I'm looking at 2A pretty objectively, I, I think this is Kennedy's to lose. I'd be surprised if anybody even threatens them in this in a state tournament. And then in the 1A competition, St. Paul is back to defend their title. They were 30-0 and last year. Not quite the same this season, but they're still holding down the number three seed. And that's probably most important because they get to avoid the number one seed, Powder Valley, until the final. And this is another team that has done well even playing out Powder Valley, 32-1. and And their only loss, now this is a 1A school, their only loss is to 4A LeGrand. So, again, dominant in their level as well. Yeah, I give Powder Valley a lot of credit. The coach has done a really good job of instilling a, a team atmosphere, um, making sure that everybody 
um, is valued on that team. You know, there there are no stars on that team. The coach is very intent on making sure that uh, the organic whole is valued as opposed to the exploits of the individual players. But again, if if you're asking me who's going to win, I think it's going to be St. Paul. Not not only because they won last year, but because this is a team that challenged itself, went to a national tournament, the Nike Tournament of Champions in Phoenix, took four losses, but as a 1A team playing an elite-level national tournament like that, they saw what it takes to be a top team. They played that competition. They were challenged against teams that were going to stress them from the first point to the last. It could only make them better. So I expect you know, when they come into the state tournament, now they've got all this experience and all this confidence from having played these difficult teams. I think the 1A competition is going to feel like it's not quite as difficult by comparison for them. So I expect Powder Valley and St. Paul to get to the finals, but I expect St. Paul to be holding up that trophy again for a second straight year. That could be a big fall. We've been talking about St. Paul football, of course, this week. They're an overwhelming favorite in the eight-man competition and a great group of athletes. And again, St. Paul, you know, went up to two-way for a couple of years, and they still play like they're a bigger school, and they have great turnout for their athletics, and I think that makes a big difference. Okay, John, one last thing. As the casual fan, I'm just going to go to one of these tournaments. I don't have a rooting interest in anybody. Who's really worth seeing, a team, a player, if you want to see – how the game being played the way it should be played, played with a lot of passion, who would you recommend? Oh. You know, I've been doing this – I've been covering volleyball nationally for 20 years, so I really enjoy the sport. I marvel at players, especially players you don't expect to do well. So, I mean, you're, you're six foot two and you're long and lean and you jump out of the gym. You know, I kind of expect you to do well, so – so the player I would say to watch is the mountainside setter Izzy. Um, she's five foot seven, five foot eight. She's a ball of energy out there. She'll get down on her knees to set the ball from her knees. She will pound the rock despite you know being undersized, relatively speaking. She's she's the player um, in six A that really gets me excited. So that's the one I would recommend. All right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab. I think we're gonna take a stab at it here, and uh, feel free to correct us in the follow up to the uh, state tournament. It is Izzy Solchuski, I'm going to say. I like it. S-Z-U-L-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I. We know it's a big winning word in words with friends. I bet it's Solzhevsky, but I don't know that. All right, you can correct us next week on the show when we recap the uh, state tournament. John, thanks so much uh, for bringing your expertise to uh, OSA today all the time. My pleasure. Love volleyball. Love to promote the sport. Uh, Best of luck to everybody out there. I hope all your dreams come true. This is OSA Today, the podcast on iHeartRadio and RipCityRadio.com. Bob Akamian with you. The first week of the fall championship season, and we are all over soccer right now. As we speak here on Wednesday, the boys' first round will be completed, second round for 6A, and the top two seeds have advanced uh, all the way through so far in 6A, Jesuit and Reynolds boys, uh, LaSalle and Ashland in 5A, yeah, Maris Catholic and Valley Catholic in 4A. The 3A, 2A, 1I completed that round yesterday. Catlin Gable winning uh, 6 nothing, 
and they await the winner of Umpqua Valley Christian and Sandy M. Christian. And uh, Oregon Episcopal is the number two seed in the 3A, 2A, and 1A boys bracket. Now, the girls, they did uh, play their games on Tuesday the 5th. We have recaps again at uh, OSAA Today. Uh, top two seeds advancing all across the board. Jesuit defeating Sheldon 7-0. They will play Barlow next. South Eugene, a thriller against Lincoln in overtime, 3-2. The Axe will play Tualatin on Saturday in the quarterfinals. Crescent Valley shutting out the Dals due for 8-0. They'll face Willamette next. Corvallis, the second seed in 5A, 1-0 over Hillsboro. They take on Churchill in the quarters. Gladstone with a big 9-0 win over Mazama. Woodburn up next for the uh, Gladiators. And second seed in 4A girls, North Valley, 3-0 over Cottage Grove. They also advance to play on Saturday. In 3A, 2A, and 1A, same story for uh, Catlin Gable. The uh, boys and girls both playing Umatilla. The girls won 8-0. They'll play Riverside next. And the St. Mary's girls, 3A, 2A, and 1A, defeated Dayton 3-1. Portland Christian awaits them in the quarterfinals. That's your soccer update. I promise you much more soccer as we get ready for their championships. That'll be in next week's edition. Cross country coming up. Doug Bender standing by to preview the cross country championships from Lane Community College as we continue OSAA Today, the podcast. More state championship action coming up this weekend. It'll be at Lane Community College, and it's the traditional running of the state cross-country meet, and that's where we bring in our track and field expert, Doug Bender, from USA Today. You've already written your preview, and I think maybe the most important thing to pass along to people is the, the race course has changed this year, and uh, the legend of Poison Oak Alley is no more, that part of the track that almost nobody gets to see unless you get a, make a real effort to run out to that corner to watch the athletes go through. And ironically, even though it's a traditional part of the track, it's no longer part of the Lane Community College campus. That's right. Um, uh some I think a trust or something owns it. Some Californians own that piece of property, and so uh, it could get developed. And so the OSAA decided they don't want to deal with the uh, year by year uh, risk that someone's going to just um, bulldoze the whole place anyway, and and just reconfigure the course a little bit, which is sort of easy to do. They're just going to add a little more distance around the ponds, and. Um, uh, That'll, that's a spot where people can view the action more of it than they could with Poison Oak Alley anyway. And, of course, it was great because that was one of those points where you'd have athletes go in in a certain order and come out in a different order, and nobody knew what happened except the runners. That's right. It's a little bit of a mystery back there. I actually think I only ever saw it maybe once. I, I think one day I got, I got to the state meet so early I was able to just walk the course because I'd never seen Poison Oak Alley maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, I'm not even sure there's actually any poison oak there, but it somehow got that name and it's just a little lane through some shrubs and, um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, no longer part of the, 
part of the deal. Well, and I thought it would be great to take one of our can one of our NFHS cameras back there uh, at the beginning of one of the races, and it took so long that I missed the end of the race. So that was a bad idea for use of the cameras. So a uh, little bit of the course changes, but of course all the tradition of running in track down and on the lane campus what 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 excites you about uh, this year's meet well i think it's i think this is going to be a special year for the meet it could big draw a big crowd you've got the you've got the uh, u.s number one team in, in summit girls uh from bend who won nike cross nationals last year they brought back all seven um uh from that team now two of those seven aren't even in the current top seven because they've got <laughs> a couple of freshmen that have, have moved up and uh, it's a competitive situation in that in that program, and and yet this is a team that that seems deeper than perhaps any other in America, and so they are looking for a second straight national championship, and state meet is is going to be a, a chance for them to really show what they've what they've got after months of training. And and with all their tradition, they won eleven straight state championships. They won every championship ever in Class 5A, going back to when the we went to the six classifications. Of course, someone moves up into 6A, they don't miss a beat. And, and part of their story is is just the, the outdoors tradition of Central Oregon. Kids this age now, they all grew up in a backpack of somebody cross-country skiing, biking, mountain biking with their parents. I mean, they're just naturally athletic kids in Central Oregon, and that is why these three, uh, really all the Bend schools have profited, but certainly Summit, it's just an ongoing tradition. Yeah, and the the Fiona Max, who's the defending champion, her twin sister Isabel, they're part of the driving force of this current team, and they're both Nordic skiers. And so they're actually champion Nordic skiers. And so they, uh, they're active all year round, all the kids are. And then, you know, you've got... Two expert coaches in Jim and Carol McClatchy, who who might be as 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 knowledgeable as anybody in the country, and um, they don't overdo it in the miles, but they run lots and lots of hills. And and to watch that team, you know, they run it. You, you think, oh, there is machine, and they they do everything in this straightforward way. But watching them at NXN last year was how lighthearted they all were when they got up on the podium. You know, some of these, there's a lot of traditional national cross-country powers, and it's like a business trip when they come to NXN, and they have to maximize, they have to add to whatever their list of accomplishment is. And the pure joy of that team up on the yeah. podium at Glendivere was really something to see, and that tells you a lot about that program too. It, it does, and I think looking back, I think maybe even some of uh, athletes – themselves would agree that maybe they were a little naive last year, like they didn't quite understand how good they were until they went out there and did that. Um, I expect that there will be a, a, a little bit more, I don't know if they'll be as loose this time, knowing that, that they've had a target on their back all season, but they, like I said, they do have the talent and they've got interchangeable parts that can keep that thing rolling. One thing I've noticed about the Max sisters over the year, you know, two years ago when they both emerged, they always ran together and they would finish in consecutive positions, there's a little bit of a gap now, at least when it comes to racing between the two. Yeah, Fiona has stayed healthy um, uh, throughout this entire process. Uh, Izzy over the summer had a, had a little bit of an injury. She she maybe was a few seconds back of Fiona already, but in, in track they sort of had had uh, separated themselves from events. It, Izzy was doing the 800, and and Fiona was doing the longer distances. Then Izzy got a little bit dinged up over the over the summer and had a, I think it was a, an IT band issue that that 
kind of like uh, cut her out of a lot of the August and September stuff, but she's coming back. Fiona is running amazing. In fact, I've got her ranked now 15th in the country as an individual. Um, she is as just about as good as any girl that we've had at the state meet in. And um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how she caps it off. They're both going to Princeton, by the way. And then, of course, Aza Borovica Swanson, who's second generation, big time. Carla, of course, uh, was a uh, big time runner in her Pac-12 days. And uh, she's also a big part of that team. Now she's, I don't think she's going to run at the state meet this week. They've, they decided at the Warner Pacific meet that that was going to be their seven. And, and Aza wow. <laughs> was JV that day. So. And she's not as, she wasn't as fast as the top seven. So she is sort of like, when I say that this team's deep, she's sort of in the on-deck circle waiting to see, <laughs> will they need to sub somebody in? Is somebody get sick at regionals? Somebody get sick at NXN? Aza's sort of like, right now, sort of like the acer holding up the sleeve. Wow. That's a pretty good bench. It is. that there. It is. It is. <laughs> and, of course, we have to talk about E.J. Holland, who is uh, – it, it, you always have to be careful hyping people this age group, although now he's getting to college age, and he keeps winning big races. He's, of course, our state champ, cross-country, 1,500, 3,000. He's got a 346.59 in the 1,500 that's best in the country this year, ran an 8.52 mile against a great field at the uh, Brooks PR meet. And even though cross-country isn't his quote-unquote thing nationally, he is showing an incredible amount of range for someone in that 17-, 18-year-old range. He is someone who's focused on trying to win a national championship this fall. And and he has, he has uh, purposely uh, pulled himself back and not raced very often this fall. He, doesn't, he hasn't been running with his own teammates. He's been doing his own schedule. Uh, his own workouts, his father and he have written uh, workout plans that they feel like are going to take him up to the level he needs to be at to probably to try and win NXN. And um, I saw him last Friday after the Pac-12 championships and, and he seems like he is full of confidence and full of belief that he has everything, every tool in the tool belt that he needs to to accomplish his goals. And Ashland had a great district meet, and uh, they're, they're, they're certainly a favorite, although they're following in the footsteps of another so- Southern Oregon team, Crater, which has won the last three championships in the 5A boys. And Crater also has depth, but has Ashland just got too many weapons now? Ashland has one of the best trios in the country. The question with Ashland is, how good is their number five? And that's been the sort of the question mark all year because... Um, they drop off a little bit after four, and if you take a big number at five, then you leave the possibility that a crater or someone can pack up and, and potentially uh, beat you. All right, Doug Binder with us talking about state cross country, Lane Community College, Saturday morning. It all gets started. So the two big races, 6A girls, 5A boys, but there's a lot of other stories to talk about. And we always have to get back to the Jesuit program uh, because of what they do. And I'm always amazed how Tom manages their turnout. They have 100 athletes running cross country. You can run one seven in a meet, and he balances it out. They have inter-squad meets. They have all underclassmen meets. He, he spreads it out as much as he can, and, and kids stay with that program regardless, which is just amazing because you might be the 40th best kid. You may never get into a race, but you're part of Jesuit cross country. Absolutely. It's a very uh, a storied program. It means a lot to those kids to wear that uniform. Now, Tom has got a, a big enough... He's got, he's got enough coaches 
that he, that they can handle all of those kids. And Tom himself is spending a little bit more time working on the top end kids and preparing them for um, for things like nationals, which in the past, you know, 10 years ago, Tom Rothenberger always said, hey, the state meets what matters the most. Anything that happens after that is sort of gravy or icing on the cake. He has moved a little bit in, in since then and now thinks that let's, let's devote um, some extra work to these elite, the elite, top tier kids and see what they can do even after the state meet is over. And and they have an amazing boys and girls team. The girls team, you know, the, the, you know, they've got to take on Summit, but 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 I know that Tom believes that this group of girls is going to give Summit everything they can handle on sa- on Saturday and the boys um have again like 1 through 5, 1 through 7 have the potential to do something special. Jesuit was second last year. They were the champions in 2017. And, of course, like in many other sports, they're going to run up right against their old friends and rivals, Central Catholic, who is the defending champ. And uh, they may not have quite the depth they have, but, again, a lot of tradition, a lot of people who know what to do in a big meet. They always land on the state meet day uh, and make it their best day of the year, no matter what they've done up until now. And so you look at what they did at the district meet, they beat Clackamas by two points. On the face of it, it doesn't look terribly impressive. And yet you expect that Central Catholic is going to arrive on the day and have, and have uh, a, really good, a really good showing. And then 5A girls, uh, Corvallis, North Salem, the defending champs, Hood River Valley, are going to be in the mix there. Yeah, I think all, the, all three of those teams have a realistic shot of winning the 5A title. And Summit moving up to 6A where they've belonged all along has really like opened the door for all of these other teams to have a, I feel like they have a chance. And North Salem, I mean, when, when has North Salem ever been a factor at the cross-country state championships? Not very often. And so North Salem, Corvallis has an extremely young team, pretty much all sophomores and freshmen. And then Hood River has, you know, they've got the experience of having won it last year and, and a couple of uh, savvy veterans in the Dickinson twins, Francis and Josephine, and uh, that's going to be interesting. They, uh, I think, I-, I couldn't pick a team out of those three that I would think's the favorite. There are a total of ten championship races on the day. The four A competition uh, features an interleague battle: Sayusla and Maris Catholic, both out of the Sky M, and they had a uh, great battle in the boys race. And they're going to be, I would guess, 1-2 going in in 4A. Well, I think that there are, outside of the Sky M, there could be a couple of other challengers there too. But um, yeah, Sayusla and Maris had a, had a, a pretty amazing district meet, both both uh, coming down to one point. So you know that it was just, it was, it's almost a flip of the coin at that point where, you know, one second by one kid could have made the difference in, in those two outcomes. In uh, the 3A competition, there was another good uh, league battle with Burns and Enterprise and Special District 3, and they had to go to the sixth-place tiebreaker. I can only imagine a district meet like that. You know, you think, okay, I hope somebody was keeping a manual score at the finish line or still handing out the popsicle sticks with the number on it because when it comes to something like that, you really got to check your math. Yeah, that's that's a close one that, that you know, could – the thing is, when, when, when you go to state, there's so many more kids. And so the mathematics changes when you go from a district meet to a state meet. And I don't know if those two teams are going to be that close at state or, or whether, you know, whether those, whether one through five are so well matched up that they it will, it could possibly come down to that again. 
And, of course, Burns an interesting story. They've been very good in track and field over the years, although a lot of it's because they have their multi-sport athletes. So Burns will be successful with a thrower, a jumper, and a relay team. So it's kind of interesting to have that many distance runners to put out quality cross-country. Absolutely. Well, you know, there are some good programs east of the mountains, and obviously lots of lots of rugged places to go run those kids and, and get them into shape. Um, you know, another another one that... Uh, you know, like a union, which has won so many small school titles. Those those teams from a uh, union are going to be just like Burns Enterprise. They just, you know, they they have lots of places to run, and and they always show up and do well at state. Well, I was going to bring up union because as long as there's somebody named O'Reilly boy or girl running for union, they've got a chance, and they have had a string of kids from that family. Yeah, that's. It, you know, community communities that small, you just really got to rely on the half dozen families that are giving you all the good athletes. And so, um, you know, Union is always going to be there um, as long as they have uh, um, Coach Sheehan. And then we, we always look at, okay, who's the new team that can break through and somebody who's it looks like they might be a contender in the 2A, 1A. And it is a combined class, by the way, the 2A and 1A schools. St. Stephen's Academy from Beaverton, which is a relatively new school, an OSA varsity competition. And uh, we've seen them uh, pop up with some finalists in track the last couple of years. And uh, that, would be, uh, that would be big doings for them to put together a team title. That certainly would. In fact, I, you know, I'm... I, I don't know much about St. Stephen's, to be honest with you. I don't know if I know what their mascot is or anything like that. But, um, you know, if they're in Beaverton, clearly they've got a chance to have good kids. It could be kids of Nike employees or you never know. But um, uh, whether it's Valley Catholic or all of the metro schools, there's, there's a lot of talent going through, through that town. Okay, you and I have spent a lot of time at that meet over the years trying to get as many pictures, you know, that, that little formula of running back and forth from the start line up the hill and uh, getting one more shot and then back to the finish line. For fans going for the first time, what's the best place to stand to see the most action on the course at Lane? Well, I would stand on the berm near the finish line because you you might miss the first 15 seconds of the start, but you're going to see them all go up the hill around around the bowl. And you can from there, you can see the ponds. But I think you're going to want to see the finish. And if you give up your spot, you might lose it this weekend because it's going to be a big crowd. And see, like me, you'll go down Poison Oak Alley and you'll be running back and you'll yeah. miss the finish. You're going to be very mad at yourself if you were trying to take pictures. Yeah. yeah. Doug, it's always a pleasure and, of course, a great time of the year for the championships and a lot of great cross-country action nationally because we go from these state meets, we've got all the NXR regionals, a lot of Oregon athletes will uh, play a big role, and then it is always a great honor to have NXN here at uh, Glendivere Golf Course in December. So even though it's a championship in Oregon, we're really just getting started with the big meets. That's right. Um, uh there was 21 state meets here just the previous weekend. There's 13 state meets this coming weekend. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's championship time in cross country for sure. Oh, and Doug wanted me to remind you because he left out mention of a key story in the PIL, and we will hear about this endlessly because we are both track guys and we're supposed to know all of this. In the 6A boys race, the PIL could go 1-2. Aiden Palmer, Charlie Robertson, from Franklin. I don't know if Franklin's going to have enough points after those two guys to uh, deal with Central Catholic or uh, Jesuit, but 
a one-two finish, always impressive. Palmer, Robertson, Franklin, keep an eye on it. Fall championship season means football and round one. Ready to go this weekend all around the state. Games on Friday and Saturday. Jordan Johnson will be joining us as our football expert. You've probably seen the word that uh, we are going to have live television for uh, four rounds of the 6A tournament. Jordan and I will be proud to be with you on uh, KETU's digital channel, MeTV. That's 302 on uh, Xfinity Cable in the Portland area. We will have a playoff game live on Friday the 15th, Friday the 22nd. And then both 6A semifinal games uh, the day after Thanksgiving. And, of course, the championship game on Saturday, December 7th. Great partnership with our friends at K2. And we look forward to joining uh, Kara Mack and Joe Becker on their coverage this fall. So uh, Jordan will be with me going forward in the weeks to come to preview. But there's just so many games in the first round. And, again, it would take forever. And, you know, we're idiots. We would sit here and talk about every stinking game. So I'm just going to run through the brackets here and uh, just give you a sense of uh, the uh, first rounds coming up here. And, of course, 6A has the uh, largest bracket, 32 teams. Tiger is the top seed. Jesuit is the two. Lake Oswego, three. Central Catholic is number four. All of them expected to win their first-round games. Tiger hosting Century uh, on Friday night. Jesuit hosts Oregon City. Lake Oswego will host Grant Pass. Central Catholic will host Southridge. Uh, in looking at the uh, other first-round matchups, probably the most intriguing one, and, of course, you go by the rankings, it would make sense that 16 versus 17 is the most competitive. And and Clackamas, which, of course, reached the championship in the Mount Hood Conference, uh, played Central Catholic, but because of schedule strength, they end up only seated 17th. They're highly underrated in that spot, and they're going to play Mountainside out of the Metro League. Of course, Mountainside having a great second year competitively in all sports this fall. And if you want to pick a 6A game to go watch that could be pretty wild, Clackamas at Mountainside on Friday night. And, uh, of course, then out of all that, we will pick our TV game for the uh, 15th, and Jordan will be back with us next week, and uh, we will get much more in-depth on that 6A bracket. Looking at the other classifications, and we'll start with 1A. St. Paul, of course, has been dominant all year. Uh, They have a tremendous roster size for uh, 1A football, and uh, they will host Elgin in uh, their first-round game. And the second seed, Adrian Jordan Valley, which has put up some gigantic offensive numbers. They will host Butte Falls Crater Lake uh, in their first-round match. And uh, pretty strong favorites that those two will march their way through. Uh, to the final. Uh, Crane is seated third. Camas Valley is seated fourth. The defending champs do for, of course, hit hard by graduation and had injuries earlier in the year, but they did qualify. They will play Perrydale on the road in the first round and then have to go to Crane if Crane prevails. So a a tough road for the Rangers if they are going to repeat as state champs. In 2A football, Kennedy will host Grant Union. They're the top seed in a Saturday afternoon game in Mount Angel. And the second seed is Coquille. They will also host a daytime home game on Saturday against Sandy Am. Hepner, the third seed, hosting Bandon Saturday afternoon. And Monroe will be at home on Friday night, hosting Colton. They're the fourth seed in 2A. In 3A, Hidden Valley 
uh, from up in the, the beautiful hills outside of Medford. If you've never been to that campus, great place to watch football. They'll be hosting Sayusla on Friday night in their first-round game. Sandy M. Christian, a second seed, hosts Nyssa on Saturday afternoon. Burns, the third seed, hosts Sayo on Friday night. And Amity on Saturday afternoon will host Brookings Harbor. Those are the top four seeds in 3A, 4A, Yes, Banks is back despite graduating their three stars from last year. They are the top seed, and they'll host Marshfield Friday night game in Banks. The second seed is Mazama. They will host Tillamook uh, noon on Saturday. The intriguing team, of course, LeGrand from the east side. They end up with the three seed. They'll host Estacada on Friday night. So LeGrand is in the same bracket with Mazama, and there's a lot of sentiment for that team from the east. We'll see how LeGrand advances through these early rounds. Finally, in 5A, Thurston is back, but defending champs continuing to be dominant again. They are the top seed. They host Corvallis on Friday night. Crater, the number two seed, powerful year for the Comets. They're hosting Hillsboro on Friday night, and uh, there's a strong bit of thought that it's a Crater-Thurston foregone conclusion, but you know what? That's why we play the games. West Albany, the third seed, hosts Redmond Friday night, and Silverton, the fourth seed, hosts LaSalle Prep. That will also be Friday night at 7 o'clock. So that is your football bracket check. Some final thoughts as we wrap up the pod for the first week of November on iHeartRadio app and RipCityRadio.com. So that is your first fall championship edition of OSA Today, the podcast. I am Bob Akamian. Thanks for coming along. We're back with you next week. And again, we'll have a major preview of the soccer championships, recap the volleyball and cross-country championships, and take a deep dive into the football brackets. Also want to look ahead to uh, some ongoing things we'd like to do in the pod this year. We want to hear your fight songs as played by your bands, your combos, even your individual performers. So if you record your school fight song as played by really anybody in your community, send it along to us at OSA Today, and we'll share the best and maybe not always the best on the podcast going on throughout the year. I'll have more details on how to get it to us next week. Again, you can uh, listen to OSA Today, the podcast, on the iHeartRadio app or at ripcityradio.com slash OSA Today. For all of our great crew at OSA Today, of course, Jerry Omer, our senior writer, John Tawa, Doug Bender, I'm Bob Akamian. Thanks for being with us and enjoy fall championship season. This is OSAA Today. 